Hi guys, I have to tell you about this amazing event that we're sponsoring and is a, we're a part of. It's called Attune by Living Holy and my good friend Jenny Emblem, who you can listen to in this feed, her uh, Sunday School episode is called Attune, is hosting the most amazing, beautiful event right outside of Atlanta, November 8th through 11th. It's a four-day wellness experience to optimize health from the inside out. She's featuring amazing inspirational speakers, interactive workshops, immersion in nature. Let me tell you some of these names. The Elizabeth Gilbert. Can you believe it? Eat, pray, love. Elizabeth Gilbert, Gabby Bernstein, Sierra Rose, Shaman Durek, John Wineland. The list goes on and on about these amazing speakers and authors and just motivational individuals. It is uh, located in Serenby. And Serenby, if you haven't been there, it's a mystical urban utopia. I mean, it's incredible, guys. There's acres of forests and meadows and nature trails. Uh, there's going to be amazing fresh food and clean air. And you get to just immerse yourself in your own well-being and attune yourself to you to nature, to each other. It's going to be such an incredible experience and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. So if you live in Atlanta, you should definitely stop by at least for a day, if not the whole thing. The website is attune by living holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y.com. And then people are flying from all over the country to attend this event. So if you're not in Atlanta and you're one of our listeners, somewhere else in the country. The Atlanta airport is pretty close to this event. Fly in, easy breezy, head to Serenby. You are not going to want to miss this event. If you come, look for us. We're going to have a mini modern mystic shop and we're going to be doing readings and stuff. So again, attune by livingholy.com and you're not going to want to miss this incredible opportunity. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. My name is Kelly Knight and I am your host and Modern Mystic Shop owner. This week we're talking about love, specifically romantic relationships. And as I had been thinking about this topic, I realized that I don't think that we've covered this sort of topic at all in all of the weeks and weeks and weeks we've been doing this podcast. So this will be super, super fresh information. And we have brought in a master's level educated relationship expert and coach so we've got the best of the best here. Her name is Katie Bonino, and here's the deal. We talk a lot about of attachment when it comes to parenting, right? The, the attachment that the child has with the parent. And people really dig into and delve into why that's important and imperative for healthy growth and development. But that's sort of where it stops. We don't really learn about how important it is to understand the different attachment styles that exist within romantic relationships. That's really, really important. And so this is the information that Katie is going to share with us. We're going to learn how it is that we can be better partners, we can relate better to our partners, um, and she is just an expert. So she really has helped lots of couples not only improve their relationship as a whole, but she'll teach uh, partners how to support and improve each other's lives. So hopefully if you are in a relationship and you're looking to connect more deeply or rekindle your connection, this is a great episode for you. So make sure that you take notes because I'm sure you'll have a checklist of things to do after you are done listening to this episode. So without further ado, attachments in romantic relationships. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm Katie. And so before we get started, I um, gave everyone like a little packet and they have a couple of discount codes in there. Um, and then up here, like after class, if you want to, there is an email sign up sheet um, if you want like email updates for anything. And then so next weekend, I'll be doing um, free clarity calls for anyone who thinks they might be interested in coaching, but you're like not really sure yet. <laughs> um, so it's a free 30 minutes. Just sign up for a time that you want. If there's not a time up there, then email me or talk to me and we'll figure it out. 
Um, so again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, so I, I work with couples and individuals. Um, I'm a relationship coach and psychotherapist. So I work to heal past wounds um, to help individuals and couples find their authentic self and to create conscious relationships. So whether that means in a relationship or with your mom or your dad or your sister or whoever, um, just to make relationships easier. Um, so by doing this, I use attachment theory, which is what we're mainly gonna cover here. Um, I use experiential learning, uh, working through intergenerational wounds and trauma um, with the use of like a genogram and some spirituality stuff in there. Does anybody know what a genogram is? So it's like this massive family tree and you put it all down on paper and then you draw all these squiggly lines to each person and you can track alcoholism, you can track anger issues. Um, so if people had a really hostile relationship towards each other, you draw like a squiggly line. If they were in love, you draw like a green line. So it's just a really good way to get an overall picture of what's going on um, in your family, which is a good way to become aware of those intergenerational patterns. So that's what I do. I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Um, and so what that means is it's, um, I just focus on like, I just focus on, um, instead of that person particularly, it's what's in their environment that makes this person this person. So your family, how you grew up, your culture, society, all that stuff plays into your patterns, beliefs, and how you behave. Um, so I really like to bring spirituality into it a little bit. Um, I went through my own journey with healing and everything, and I come from a little bit of a tumultuous family, um, a little chaotic. And so there's a disclaimer that I wanna make with this class is that we'll be talking about family and attachments, and all of these attachments come from childhood, which can be really heavy. And so what got me through that, because right, you go to counseling and then you discover like, your mom <laughs> is the blame for everything, right? Or it's the attachment with your mom or your dad, and you're like, oh, I can blame them now. That's not true. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, and so you kind of, you like work through it, but then you're like, oh, well, all these people made me this way, and you become really bitter. Um, and what got me through that was honestly just thinking they did the best with what they had, and so are you. So coming from this intergenerational you know, format, along with spirituality, is you chose them for a reason. You know, I'm guessing like some of you are into spirituality since you're here at Modern Mystic. So the way I see it is you chose your parents for a reason. They chose you for a reason. There's lessons to learn. Um, they learned their behaviors from their parents and their parents before that. Um, they didn't intend to do any damage, hopefully. Um, and they were just doing the best with what they had. So I want you to remember that. And if you're a parent in here, I don't want this to be like traumatic for you. Like, oh my gosh, I like seriously screwed up my kids. <laughs> um, so the same thing, you know, just remembering when you feel a little bit triggered, I'm doing the best with what I have right now. Um, so I don't think, I think a lot of humans don't really intend to do damage. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. A little bit about me. Um, I'm from New Hampshire. I got my mashes in Colorado. Um, I just moved here with my boyfriend and my three fur babies. I have two dogs and a cat um, that are like, I think sometimes I tell them I love them more than I love my boyfriend. <laughs> but so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, we're gonna save uh, questions for the end. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. So. The packets that you have are just kind of like, I'll touch on what's in there. Um, does anybody, is anybody familiar with like human design? Yeah, I'm a 5-1. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, you need to know everything. <laughs> 
Uh, so that's why I gave you guys the packets because I really want you to get the most out of this class. And then hopefully they're not like that dense where you can just like stick it on your refrigerator and you know come back to it when you want. So let's get into what, what even is attachment. Um, so John Bowlby is the founder of attachment. And from his words, attachment is a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another across space and time, which is kind of like a really nice um, definition. So if you can think of this as on an evolutionary, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, um, it's really for survival. So you can pretty much boil down all of human behavior to survival. Um, so attachment begins as an infant and it stretches across the lifetime. Um, the stage in, between infancy and childhood is the most important. It's where we really um, learn how to trust people, develop the attachment to our caregivers. And your, when I say primary caregiver, it could be your mom, dad, aunt, uncle, you know, grandma, grandpa, whoever was the primary caregiver in your life. It doesn't have to be just mom and dad. Um, so, and then once we learn that attachment through infancy and childhood, we go on to kind of use that as a template or a lens for how we see the world. Um, so then you go out, you know, say you have a really safe relationship with your parents, then you're gonna go out and you're gonna be like, I can trust everybody, like this is awesome. <laughs> and then say you have a very like chaotic relationship with your parents and maybe you can't always trust them, you're gonna go out into the world and you're gonna be like, well, I can't trust anybody. Um, so uh, Stu Johnson is a really good um, person for attachment. She wrote a book called Hold Me Tight and she has a quote that says, humans have the need for secure attachment relationships across the lifespan, not just in infancy and early childhood. And that's so important. So you take what you learned as a child and you bring it into your relationships. And then depending on which attachment you have, sets you up for the romantic relationships in the future. So, so now you're really saying like, oh, my parents did the best with what they had. <laughs> um, so, We'll just go into, um, so like I said, nature versus nurture. Um, these kind of, so you have your, your nature like your personality, and then nurture is the beliefs, patterns, behaviors, all learned from your environment and your family, society, and culture. Um, so these behaviors, patterns, and attachment is a learned behavior. It is like intergenerational. Um, so that will continue unless there is someone to stop it who does the healing in your family um, and then passes down that healing. So unless there's any healing that occurs, it'll just keep going. Um, and so when, does any, does it ring a bell with anyone when I say like learned behaviors and everything like that? Okay, good. I always think of the toddler who's like, where did you learn that from? And then you look to their parents and you're like, oh, that's where you learned it from. <laughs> um, that's a good example. So the main points that I you know, want you to remember is that we all have an intrinsic, psychological, physiological need to be connected. Um, and we need to be connected in our life to at least one person. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean like you have to be connected to just your mom for the rest of your life. Like your attachments will change. Um, but it does mean that you need to be securely connected or attached to at least one person. So it might change from your parents to, you know, as you get older, a boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other. Um, it might change to your brother or your sister. But you need to have one person that is safe, a safe base for you to come back to. Um, and then secure attachments reduce stress and they're linked to psychological health. Um, when a person feels threatened, they experience a strong emotional need for comfort and connection. So I want you to think about like, if you have a really bad day at work and you're just like exhausted and you're so stressed out 
And if you have a significant other at home, what do you want to do? You want to come home and like, you want to tell them about it and you want to hug and you want them to comfort you. That's what I'm talking about. That's the point that this is. Um, and we all need that. If there's a person that is like, I'm going to go live in the mountains by myself and I don't care about people. They're the result of a like, not so great attachment. <laughs> That's not healthy. Um, and then what's really interesting is that the quality of attachment defines us. So people use the quality of attachment to define themselves as lovable, worthy, competent. Um, and then these internal models is how we engage in relationships. So which is really interesting just to like keep in the back of your mind. Um, so if there's maybe a person that doesn't have a lot of friends um, who tends to be more anxious, they might use that to define themselves. I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy, um, people don't like me, that kind of stuff. And then isolation and loss are traumatizing. Um, so they can trigger panicked emotions. So that might mean breaking up with a significant other. Um, even a toddler that is like, you know, mom's gonna go grocery shopping and they might be like, oh, I don't know when you're gonna come back. It'll trigger that panicked response. Um, so those are just some things to like be aware of. And then we'll get into um, now the four attachment styles. And you have this grid on your um, piece of paper, so you can kind of follow along a little bit. I'm not gonna read all of them or like touch on all of them, um, but we'll just kind of talk about like the really important ones. So secure, um, I put all like all examples in there. And um, so to try to help you kind of conceptualize what this looks like. So. I'm a Marvel nerd. My boyfriend turned me into one. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of Marvel references on there. But Captain America is a really good, like, secure figure. Um, so I want you to kind of, like, picture someone like that. So in childhood, like I said, attachments come from childhood. Um, this person had parents that were always emotionally and physically present. Uh, the child sees them as a secure base to go back to. Um, so when they hurt themselves, like it's no question, they're gonna go back to mom and dad and you know they're gonna ask them to make it better. Um, and then the, the child's needs are met consistently. And that means like basic needs like food, water, shelter, but also emotional needs, like a need for comfort, security, um, love. Those are all met every time the child asks for them. So then as an adult, what that translates to is this adult is comfortable displaying emotions. They don't hold back. They're not afraid to be vulnerable. Um, they can prioritize relationships and, and create healthy boundaries with people, which is really important. And then what's really interesting is they react to things on an as-needed basis um, without having triggered old wounds or stuff from their past. So what that means is if they have a significant other and their significant other breaks up with them, it doesn't trigger abandonment from their past. And they're able to say, okay, I understand. I'll be sad that you're gone, but I'll get over it. And they can do that because they don't have anything coming from their past that is going to kind of like color that interaction. Um, in relationships, these are the best people to have in relationships because they're obviously really stable. <laughs> um, they welcome intimacy. Um, and they're able to have calm conversations when they're upset. So there's no need for yelling or manipulation um, or stonewalling the cold shoulder, none of that, because they kind of see it as, I'm gonna tell you what I'm feeling and that's it. And I'm gonna be vulnerable with you. And they're safe enough in their attachment and person to do that. Um, so obviously the examples are Captain America and then Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. <laughs> um, there's a really interesting study done with a child um, 
and a mom. So what they do is they put the mom and the child in a playroom and then they have the mom leave. And in that study, the secure child will be upset that the mom leaves, um, but ultimately they get over it. And then when the mom comes back, they're happy to see them. Um, so anxious is the next one. And so in this childhood, the parents are inconsistent with meeting the child's needs. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're not there. They might be physically present, but the child just never knows when they're gonna get their needs met. Maybe sometimes when they need comfort, mom and dad are there, and then other times they might get yelled at for it, um, or they might be pushed to the side. Um, what comes to mind is uh, sometimes they're over-attentive, um, but then emotionally disconnected other times. So if you might think of like a helicopter parent or a mama bear where they're like, oh my gosh, I have to protect you. And they make a big deal out of something. But then um, where it's like talking to the teachers at school and like, you know, standing up for the kid. But then at home, they're not really playing with them. They're not really paying attention to them. Um, and that creates a disconnect. And then because of this, the child never knows when their needs are actually gonna get met. So it creates like this very anxious energy in the child. Um, as an adult, because of the attachment that they had with their parents, they crave stability. But at the same time, they fear abandonment and they will do anything to stay away from abandonment. Um, they have extremely low self-esteem. And they can be overly emotional and oftentimes they form a fantasy bond. So they so badly want there to be a stable person and that stable attachment and they're so afraid of abandonment that they create this like made up relationship almost. So I want you to think, I want you to think of um, maybe a person that is, like they start dating someone and they go on maybe like two dates and then they're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna get married. And you're like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Um, and you can see it, but they can't. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be together. Like, and then they're really upset when this person who they've only been on two dates with is like, no, it's not gonna work out. And it's just like the world is ending for them. That's an anxious attachment. Um, when they're in a relationship, they only see the positives in their partner and they idealize their partner. So the same thing as, you know, going on a, you know, two dates with them and then being like, oh my gosh, they're perfect. They really, really want that stable relationship. Um, even to the point of like almost making it up. Um, they're at risk of getting into abusive relationships too because they only see the positive. They won't, they won't even see the negative. So if someone is hurting them, they're the people who will say, it's okay, it's okay. He's nice to me sometimes. He's nice to me on this days. He brings me flowers after we fight. And they're super high risk for getting into an abusive relationship because of that. Um, and they can often be jealous and possessive. So if you don't, like God forbid, if you don't text them back, right? And then they'll just blow up your phone for the next 48 hours. Um, and in this one, this example, Ron Weasley from Harry Potter, um, he's just like very low self-esteem, nervous. Um, and then I had Pat Soltano from Silver Linings Playbook too. Um, the next one is avoidant. So these kids, oh, and anxious for the child, um, for the study done with the mom and the child. When the mom leaves the room, the child is almost unconsolable. And then when the mom comes back, super interesting, they're like happy and mad at the same time with the mom. So they like love them and they're happy they're back, but then they'll like hit them and scream at them. Right, so it's this huge disconnect. Um, so then on to avoidant. Uh, these parents, I mean, 
Tony Stark is like a really good example. <laughs> um, so these parents are around maybe physically, but they're never around emotionally, like not even a little bit. Um, and the kids associate love with pain because their parents have kind of pushed them to the side and they don't really interact with them at all. So when the child thinks about like love and getting close to someone, it's really associated with pain and um, just feeling let down. Um, there's a really good scene in, I forget which Marvel movie it's in, but when Tony Stark creates this um, kind of machine, it's like a holographic machine, and you see an interaction with his parents, right? And his dad just kind of casts him to the side, and he, you can see his disappointment, and that's a really good example of this. Um, as adults, they're emotionally distant. Um, they're very, very independent, and they pride themselves on their independence. Um, they deny that they need a connection. So these are the people who may be like workaholics. They might be like surface level friends, but you don't really see a ton of them. Um, you don't really like know who they are because they never open up to anybody. And they always see the negative in others. So there, um, there's a grid in your packet and it's on like high self-esteem, low, and then um, how you view others. So in this one, they have a very high view of themselves, and then they see everyone else as like really low. So they have a low view of others, um, a negative view of others. And in relationships, they're super uncomfortable with intimacy. And I don't mean like sex, they're fine with sex, but emotional intimacy is terrifying. So they will be great in the beginning of a relationship. They're typically thought of as the player because they love the beginning of a relationship. It's exciting, there's lots of sex. There's like, we can't really do much wrong. Um, you know, it's an exciting time in a relationship, but then when it comes to, you know, getting like deeper into it emotionally and being an emotionally intimate and getting really to know that person, they bail and they ghost. Um, they're really afraid of that because they associate that with pain. Um, and like I said, Tony Stark is a really good example of this. Uh, the next one is fearful, and fearful is a little, um, oh, and the study done with the parents uh, in the playroom, this child will, like the parent leaves and the child's like, whatever, I don't even care. <laughs> and the mom comes back and the child's like, whatever. <laughs> They're just, it's whatever. They're not even around anyways. So with fearful, um, if you were to look this one up, some people call it fearful. Some people call it anxious avoidant. Some people call it disorganized. It's all the same thing. <laughs> they can't like agree on a name for it. Um, but this one is I think the heaviest one of all. This is maybe two to 5% of the population. Um, thankfully it's not a lot. Uh, but this is a combination of anxious and avoidant. And this is a person who is, who grew up in severe abuse and neglect. And they always associate um, love or intimacy, or emotional intimacy with pain. Um, the child's needs were never ever met. And so as an adult, they're too fearful to even get close to anybody. Um, but they also fear abandonment at the same time. Um, and then when they do get close to anybody, their anxiety spikes through the roof. So it's kind of this like push-pull. It's like, I want to get close to you and I want to feel safe, but I'm too afraid. And then they pull away. Um, in a relationship, they will go through any and all defense mechanisms, yelling, hitting, violence, anything um, to keep themselves safe. Um, and they, are, they typically have very dramatic um, relationships and rocky relationships, and they have very low self-esteem. Uh, so a, good, a really good example of this is um, Goodwill Hunting is a great example. 
uh, and then also Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, since I'm a Marvel nerd. Um, so yeah, and then that little grid will show you if you want to easily identify and psychoanalyze all your friends. Um, <laughs> there is a little grid, and there's two, and it'll have low emotional avoidance, so meaning that they're not afraid of emotions, intimacy, um, and then anxiety. So secure is low anxiety and low emotional avoidance. That's the safest, most stable one. And then the other one is self-esteem and how they see others. So secure is a high view of others and high self-esteem. So if you want to psychoanalyze all your friends, <laughs> there's a good tool. Um, Okay, so how do these work in relationships then, right? So I want you to think of this as survival. It is an evolutionary tool, we all have them, um, and it's meant to survive. So, like I said before, when you grow up, you take everything you've learned as a child and you say, okay, this is what I can expect from the world. This is how I'm gonna see it. Um, so then, what happens when you get into a relationship with another person, <laughs> right? Things get really mucky. So all of the things that you have are going to trigger maybe them, and maybe the stuff that they have are going to trigger you. So it just kind of depends on what attachment you have, what attachment they have. Obviously, the easiest one is a stable, like, secure person with another secure person. Um, so your attachment from childhood goes into behaviors, how you see the world, and then you bring that into relationships. And this can be any and all relationships. You can play this out with your friends, with your sister, brother. Um, and your brother and sister, like your siblings, might have a different attachment than you do too, right? They're, like you can have different experiences. Um, so a really good example of how people might trigger each other in these different types of attachments when they get into relationships is an anxious and avoidant. And you can probably kind of see how that would get a little mucky. Um, it's also called a pursuer and a withdrawer uh, relationship. So what happens is the anxious person gets close and they're super excited about dating this person and they really like them and they idealize them. They wanna be with them 24 seven. <laughs> They're not okay with just being by themselves. They they have to be with another person, and the avoidant person is, you know, happy to date, likes the beginning stages, but then they feel the anxious person getting too close, and they get scared and they book it. They run away. Um, whatever that means, like, you know, having a fight, sabotaging, self-sabotaging your relationship. Um, Stop, you know, you stop talking to them, whatever that means for that person. And then the anxious person seeks them out and starts a fight with them. <laughs> um, so the anxious person will target them and pick a fight. You know, why are you not talking to me? Why aren't you answering my text messages? You know, all that kind of stuff. Why, aren't you, why haven't you answered my 10 calls? <laughs> that stuff. And then... They fight about it. There might be yelling because that's how these people have learned to get their point across. That's what they've learned, right? The avoidant then, instead of coming to a solution, they avoid the solution. So they don't wanna get to the real nitty gritty of the problem. That is just too scary for them. So for them to sit there and say like, my feelings were hurt, I'm afraid of you doing this, I'm afraid of this, you know, and being vulnerable and saying these are my feelings, they'll instead avoid it in any way they can. And then there is a short-lived reconciliation. Um, so you can think of this as makeup sex. <laughs> um, and that's kind of just the cycle that they go through until somebody sees it and makes a change. Um, so I think the things to keep in mind is that obviously this is really difficult. 
Like, you're in a relationship, you're, like, in the brunt of it with this other person. So it's hard to take a step back and be like, oh, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> right? You can't really do that for yourself when you're in it. Um, you know, I've been working with people in the mental health field for, like, eight years. I've been through grad school. And even I can't do that. <laughs> it took a lot for me to get there. Um, and you, those are just skills that you have to learn. It's a slow process. Um, so I want you to be mindful of that. If you know, you're going through something like that, I want you to be mindful that you're not perfect. Nobody is. And it takes a lot to you know, see what you're doing and see your behaviors. Um, it also takes putting your pride aside, which is hard. Um, but I want you to remember this. What need is this person trying to meet by acting this way? And this has helped me personally a lot. So like if I see someone acting really difficult, someone in my family, and that's really close, instead of getting upset, I'll try to say, what need is this person trying to meet by acting this way? Because chances are that this person has acted this way before, and they've gotten their need met by acting that way. So maybe they yelled a lot. And then the other person was just like, fuck it, fine, go, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> and they got their need met. So then what do they continue to do? They continue to yell. Um, so I want you to keep that in mind when you're getting frustrated with people. What need is this person trying to meet by doing this? And that will help you kind of see below their behavior and have a little bit of empathy for what's going on instead of just reacting to the behavior. Um, and needs can be basic needs, food, shelter, you know, all that stuff. Um, and a lot of time they're emotional. They want comfort, love, support. Um, they want to be heard a lot of the time. Um, does anybody know what validation is, like validating someone? Yeah. There's been a lot of stuff that I've, like, kind of sidestepped by just being like, wow, you're really upset. I hear you. And people are like, huh. And they don't, they don't like feel the need to fight anymore. They're just like, okay. <laughs> um, and ask them what they need too. A lot of times I see people, you know, well, how can I do this? Like, how can I get them to stop doing this? And I feel like sometimes people want to manipulate others. And really, if you just ask them what they need, the chances are they'll probably tell you. You know, instead of having you mind read. Um, so then we have the healing for each type, each type of attachment. Um, so we'll kind of quickly go through that, and then I have like a little activity, and then we'll open it up for questions. So healing for each type, secure. You don't need any healing if you're secure. <laughs> Um, if you're secure, chances are you're probably going to be helping somebody else, right? Um, for anxious, if you yourself are anxious, find a hobby to do that is outside of your relationship. Um, you know, find something that you really like and that you can do yourself. And being in a relationship is not spending 24-7 with that person. Like, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, so having that alone time is really important. Um, fostering a healthy image of yourself. So whether that means like, you know, saying I love you every day when you see yourself in the mirror, just stuff like that. Um, because remember, anxious people have a low um, self-esteem and that's part of the reason why they want to seek love out in others. So they don't see that in themselves. And then finding things that you love about yourself. And then lastly, accepting people at face value. So not idealizing them, right? Not, not getting into a relationship and being like, it's okay, they'll change. No. <laughs> right? And just being like, this is the person. I'm going to take you at face value, and I'm going to react to you at face value, and that's it. Um, if you're the partner of an anxious person, um, or a person with anxious attachment, um, having a calm discussion about what they need before they get triggered or before they get upset. So a lot of the times people are so, so first of all, 
when anybody get upset, gets upset ever, I always say they drop like 50 IQ points. You're just not thinking straight, right? You're not thinking with your prefrontal cortex, like your judgment is out the window. If you think of a toddler, like that's what it is. <laughs> um, so when someone is upset, they're not thinking, I need a hug, right? They're just like, they're just grasping at anything to, you know, keep the fight going, whatever. So asking that person, hey, when you get upset like that, what do you need from me? That could be a hug, space. Um, it could be, I don't know, just sitting there and listening and asking concrete, what do you need? Okay, so when you get upset, I'm gonna ask you if you need a hug. Um, or I'm gonna ask you if you need space. And just being that for that other person. Um, remember that they have a fear of abandonment and anything will trigger that. Anything that changes in the relationship will trigger that. Um, so if that's like you're working more hours at work, that'll trigger a fear of abandonment. Um, so just being mindful of that. And then reassure, this is super important, reassuring them that you're still there. So if they're getting upset or if they're having a hard time, reassuring them I'm upset with you, and you don't want to put your um, emotions aside. Don't do that, because your emotions are valid too, right? So saying, I'm upset with you, and I still love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. And that and is really important. If you put a but in there, <laughs> that wipes out the whole first half of the sentence. It's always and. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. Um, Scheduling some quality time together might be really helpful too. So saying like, okay, I'm working extra hours here, but we can go on Saturday out to eat or you know, we can go walk the dog together. Just stuff like that to kind of balance it and that will kind of help this person be a little more at ease. Um, avoidant, people who are avoidant or have an avoidant attachment can work on opening themselves up to others and being vulnerable. So whether that means writing a thank you letter or saying to someone like, I really appreciate you, I respect you um, because of these things, um, sharing more about yourself and kind of stretching your, your comfort zone a little bit in that way. Um, scheduling alone time, and this isn't to say to escape, but just so you're not like, oh my God, I'm spending so much time with everybody else and driving yourself crazy. So still having that alone time is very important. If you're the partner of um, an avoidant person, creating a safe space for them to listen. And by listen, I don't mean listening for what you're gonna say next, right? So not listening and like already having your response in your head. Listening for content, what they're saying. If you can, phrase it back to them or use that validation. I hear you saying this. I know that you're sad. I know that you're upset with me. Um, we'll make them feel heard. And just creating that safe space without judgment. Don't shame them, judge them, blame them for their feelings. They're, everybody is entitled to their feelings. And then prompting them to share more about themselves. So I've seen with with people, when you ask them, what do you feel? How do you feel? They'll say, well, I think. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not an I feel statement. So really holding them to that. What do you feel about this? You know, And having them share their feelings, a little bit of vulnerability, opening up a little bit at a time. Don't sit them down and be like, what do you feel about this, this, and this, and like interrogate them. But just, what do you feel? And if they say, what? You know, I think just being like, no, I asked you what you felt. <laughs> Answer it, please. Um, holding each other accountable, right? When one partner is down, the other one might be up, and that's how we help each other. Um, and then fearful. So these issues are so complex. Um, so really a person who is fearful, which is really two to 5% of the population, not a lot, but they really need to be in counseling or therapy just because they likely have so much trauma they need to work through that. So as a partner, just advocate for therapy, advocate for them, empathize with them, listen. Um, 
reassure them that you're there. And at the same time, if it's a toxic relationship and, you know, it's abusive, you're not responsible for fixing anybody else either. So I want everybody to know that, that you're not responsible for that. They're their own person. You're their own person. You're responsible for yourself, and you can only control yourself. Um, so if it ever gets to that point, nobody expects you to do that. Okay, so we have about 15 minutes left. Um, so I want to do an activity that I hope will kind of help you figure out where things are coming from, calm down. Um, I've used it with clients before, I've used it with myself, it's helpful. Um, and then we'll kind of open it up for questions. So it's called a body scan, and this is also something that you can use with your partner too. You can maybe prompt your partner to be like, hey, let's do this together <laughs> and see. And the funny thing about this is, so it's a body scan activity, we're gonna be um, drawing your attention to different parts of your body, seeing what you feel, um, and seeing if there's any emotions in different parts of your body. And sometimes we are not always in tune with what we're feeling. I once had a client who told me that he got into a fight with his wife and he, they were like out doing wedding stuff and just super stressed out, out all day. And they went through a drive-through to eat and he was just so upset. He threw his wedding ring at her and was like, I'm done. And then I was like, how did you feel after you ate? Like your takeout or whatever, right? And he was like, oh, I felt fine. I said, by chance, were you hungry? <laughs> and he was like, oh, I was starving. <laughs> and he just didn't realize it. So this is kind of where this activity comes into play. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> Hangry on a whole nother level. Okay. So if you wanna just have your feet firmly planted on, your, on the floor, get yourself comfortable in like a neutral position. Um, if you wanna close your eyes, uh, do that. If you don't wanna close them, that's okay too. Just try to soften your gaze. Um, take maybe like two to three deep breaths in and then out just to center yourself. And then when you're done doing your deep breaths, I want you to bring your focus to your feet first. And so we're gonna be slowly going up the body, bring your awareness up the body. So focus on your feet. How do they feel? Do they feel like grounded to the floor? Do they feel hot, cold, itchy? And then I want you to bring your awareness up to your calves. What do your calves feel like? they feel tight? Are they relaxed? And then bring your awareness up to your thighs and just check in. And then up to your stomach. Are you hungry, full? Maybe you just eat breakfast, have coffee. Is it sitting well? And then up to your chest. And I feel like your stomach and your chest are places where we harbor a lot of feelings. So checking in with those is really important. Does your chest feel tight? Is it feeling open and relaxed? And then out to your arms. Is there anywhere that is tense that you're keeping stress and anxiety? And then Bring your awareness to your back and up your neck and then into your head. Are your neck or shoulders tight? Does your head hurt? Is everything relaxed? Are you feeling cold or hot anywhere? And then I want you to also notice, are there any emotions that you're feeling? So when you're checking in with your body, are there any emotions that could be tied to a certain part of your body? So when we're feeling anxious, we feel it in our chest most of the time. Or you might feel it in your stomach. If you're feeling nervous, you might feel it in your stomach. If you feel like you can't say something, you might feel it in your throat. 
And then I want you to just reflect. How are you putting that out into the world around you? What are your behaviors like right now? Can you see yourself maybe acting a certain way with your friends or family or partner because you're nervous or anxious? And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. How is that for everybody? Good? It's just a nice little activity to calm yourself, like bring awareness to your body and check in um, with how you're feeling and where those emotions might like manifest in your body because we all have that, right? Um, and then using this activity to see if there's, you know, how you're behaving, how, how you could change your behaviors in order to get your needs met. So like I said, and like I've been saying, your behaviors are on a survival basis, right? Um, so we use our behaviors and the way we interact with the world from the things we've experienced in the past. So is there a way that you're behaving that maybe is not working for you to get your needs met, right? Maybe you're pushing people away. Could you do something different? And just bring your awareness to that through this activity. And I find that that's really helpful. Um, and I think we have about 10 minutes left. So does anyone have any questions? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so what would a relationship look like between two avoidant people, and why would they be drawn to each other? I feel like likely that wouldn't happen. <laughs> um, I think maybe it would, but chances are it would be anxious avoidant, because if you think about it, avoidant is always trying to avoid. There, there wouldn't really be a long-term relationship. And if there was like something starting out, it would be that beginning stages of things being really exciting. And then they would both kind of be like, I'm done now. <laughs> this is getting too much. Like, it's too intimate. I don't want to do it. Um, and avoidance are also extremely independent, too. Um, so if something were to, you know, work out on a long-term scale, it probably wouldn't, unless they did healing, it probably wouldn't have much emotional intimacy and they it would like it would be like being separate but together it's almost like a roommates yeah was that answer okay <laughs> um yeah go ahead Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what happens when parents are divorced and one's anxious and one's avoidant? How does that affect the kids? Um, you can be a combination too. So being a combination, a combination doesn't necessarily mean fearful, but you can, it doesn't have to be like a set, I'm an anxious type or I'm just an avoidant type. You can have both. Um, so you how that might manifest in a child is it might be um, being really anxious, but then when it comes to fixing something or getting close, they might pull away. Um, so it just really depends. Or, you know, it might be someone who is, has more avoidant tendencies and avoids emotional intimacy, but then also has a fear of abandonment too. Um, which is obviously really hard. So it just kind of depends on the person and how they manifest that. Um, but you can definitely be a combination of both. Yeah. I know you had a question. Go ahead.
Um, so is there other forces that can be uh, influential on attachment outside of the family? Um, yeah, I think there is. Uh, I mean, especially if the child, like, has closer attachments to other people, too. Um, I think that can definitely influence it. And I think anything with, with humans is not, like, a set hard and fast rule ever. <laughs> um, we're messy. And so it just depends on the situation, you know. And you can have, like a secure childhood and then you get into your teenage years and something happens and it might turn into anxious avoidant. You know, it kind of just depends. Um, but I think whenever I work with someone, it's always what is going on in your environment and you look at all factors. So your childhood, um, your society, your culture, how you're raised, everything like that. Um, and all of that plays an effect into a person. Does that help? Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what does it look like? For, to be emotionally present with like a child. Um, so this is an interesting one because, yeah, it just, because sometimes toddlers are hard. They're like in their own little world half the time. <laughs> um, so I did a lot of like play therapy classes and kids are super interesting and they're smart. They pick up on things. And so I found that how I can be emotionally available and like there with a child is just like being in their own little world with them. And if you want to like optimize playtime, it's really kind of just letting them boss you around. <laughs> and, um, but sitting with them and playing with them and, and being like, you know, what should this person do? Like, what should this Barbie do? And having them be in control. Because if you think about it, kids kind of get, like, the shit end of the stick. Like, they don't have control over anything. Even, like, sometimes down to what they wear. Like, imagine someone being like, you're going to wear this. You're going to go here. You're going to go here at this time. You're going to have this for lunch. Like, that would be terrible. <laughs> right? Um, so just letting them have control a little bit. Um, spending time with them. Being an emotionally available in the sense of, like... Um, when they act out, asking them what they need. You know, do you need a hug? Do you need this? Um, do you need to talk about it? And just doing that, um, what play therapy teaches, and then there um, is another form called filial therapy, and it actually teaches the parents, like it coaches the parents through interacting with the kids, um, which is super interesting. And a lot of it is just narrating play too, and just like being there with them, narrating it. And like a lot of the stuff I did with play therapy was like, you have a red truck. <laughs> right? Like, wow, the red truck is loud. <laughs> and But then like kind of translating that into emotions, wow, it's so loud, it must be really powerful. And then once you do that, like once you put an emotion to it, kids just light up and they're like, yeah, it is really powerful. And then it just like blows up from there. Um, but just kind of narrating that for them, giving them the emotion words to use, um, giving them a little bit of control over like, what should this person do? Like, what should this truck do next? How, how does he feel right now? Um, and I think that goes a long way with kids um, just because they have that control. And then you're kind of just sitting there with them. And it doesn't have to be all day. That kind of play is good in like 20, 30 minutes. Anybody else? Check the time. We have time maybe for like one more question. Yeah. Um, I think it depends. So are people are secure attachment styles okay with the other ones and or does it drive them away? 
Um, I think it depends on the person. Like I said, there's like no hard and fast rule. Um, you have to remember that secure attachment have a high self-esteem and a high view of others too. So with that being said, they would maybe get into a relationship and be able to recognize like, this is all your stuff, right? Like if the other person is kind of pushing back on them, this is all you. But then they also have a high view of others. They also look positively on others. So they might also get into a relationship and be like, this is all you, but I love you and I'll help you work through this. And they'll oftentimes be very hopeful. Um, but then again, if kind of like shit hits the fan, because of their secure attachment, they're okay with being, you know, just they're okay with rejection and being like, this isn't working. I'm going to walk away, and they're okay at taking it at face value. So it kind of just depends on the person. Yeah. Oh, you need one more question? Or, yeah. Okay, we can do one more question. Does anybody else have like a last burning question they need answered? Yeah, that's a super good question. Um, so can anxious or avoidant or any of the types get to a secure and what does that look like? So absolutely. You, and like I said, it's not like hard and fast, like you're avoidant, so you're avoidant for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, but you can definitely change types. And what that looks like is, um, you know, just noticing your behaviors, noticing where they're coming from. Because you can notice your behaviors, but then it's kind of like, I call it like a snowball. Like, you're you might be aware of your behaviors, and you might be like, I yell, and I don't like that about myself. But then when you get upset, you still yell. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, no, I don't like this. But then you don't know how to change it. So it's kind of like watching this little snowball like run into an avalanche. Um, so really what's going to help behind that is getting to the root of why you do the things that you do. So maybe you yell because you had a parent who yelled a lot, you know, and getting down into what happened in your past and how that made you feel um, and really getting to like what happened with that because we react off of things in our past. So if you come into a situation and you feel upset or triggered by it, you're going to react. Um, so notice doing the work with your past, noticing your behaviors, and becoming aware of your triggers and why you have them um, is going to be, like, really, really helpful. So I was, um, like I said, I come from a chaotic family. Um, I was very anxious attachment and I become like more secure through lots of work and you know my boyfriend and I have been together for five years and we've helped each other um, but it used to look like me screaming and like threatening to break up with them and again like I was in grad school like I still did those things you know and it took someone being like um, you're really negative <laughs> and you're really mean um, for me to see like how much I was actually hurting people and but then once you work on it, it's easier. So it's hard going through that. But now, like, argument, we still have arguments, me and my boyfriend. Everybody does. But now it looks like, I need you to validate me for being sad. <laughs> I need you to validate me for being upset. I need a hug. I'm upset with you because of X, Y, Z, right? And it's like a night and day difference. And you can definitely get to that. And I think just putting your pride aside like noticing where you're coming from and giving yourself that space and just knowing that nobody's perfect, right? Like I'm doing the best with what I have. Um, and just giving yourself that kind of grace is really helpful. But yeah, it's, that's a great question. Absolutely. You're not stuck in anyone for forever. You can always change it. Um, 
So we're gonna wrap things up and thank you all for coming and being here. Like, I'm so grateful to be teaching you this and to be here. Um, and like I said, I have an email sign-up sheet up here. I have, whoops, I have a clarity call um, sign-up sheet up here if you wanna do 30 minutes for free. And then I do most of my sessions um, online, so it's super easy. And you can find me at my uh, company name, our business name is Heart Centered Adventures. Uh, so you can find me at that Instagram, Facebook, I have a website. Um, I also love to plan events with people. I did a scavenger hunt out in Denver where I sent couples like around um, a little neighborhood finding things and they did like a date night and won prizes and it was super fun. Um, and that's like a really good test of your relationship because you have to work together. <laughs> um, so definitely check me out at my website, Instagram, all that stuff. Sign up for emails. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys so much for coming. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.